This is going to be our last Sunday that we're going to talk on marriage, so we're going to wrap up the series this morning. But before we get into it, I want to make a couple of comments about it that I think are really important to remember. When the topic of marriage comes up, I know there are some who feel a great sense of failure or shame, even guilt. Uh, perhaps you've been through a divorce, maybe multiple divorces, or, or engaged in premarital sex or committed adultery, or perhaps some have practiced homosexuality. But when you come to Christ in genuine repentance for your sins and trust him to save you, he washes away all your past sins and failures. So no matter what you were, you are now washed, forgiven, free from what you once were. You are clean and holy. You are saints. And I've got a verse to back that up, although I'm not going to read it. (laughs) Uh, There are some who are struggling right now in a broken or barely functioning marriage. You may not feel much hope. So when the topic of marriage comes up for you, it may just be kind of depressing. But I want to remind you this morning that your ultimate hope is not and never has been and never should be in your spouse or in your marriage, but in God alone. And you can truly say that if I have God near me, life is good. And the psalmist basically said that, as for me, The nearness of God is my good. But also you must remember that God is a healer. God is a healer of all things, but he is a healer also of broken marriages. And he may use some of the things in this message here this morning to make you an instrument of healing in your home and your marriage. I know there are always some when we talk about marriage who are not married, who are single, And may be tempted to feel that this topic makes you feel like a second-class Christian. Not at all. Jesus was single. The Apostle Paul who wrote this passage was single. And he highly commended the single life. It It is a way of living that you can be free from concern, he said, and be more focused on the things of the Lord and be more free to please the Lord. Singleness is a special calling, a gift in the view of Scripture, and we want you to know that we honor that here at Real Life Church. There are some young people here who are not married, and whether you're 10 or 12 or 16, you as a young person are already learning what it is to be a husband or a wife, and You're learning that from things that you see in your home, from things that you hear, but the things that you hear right here this morning, even as a 10 or 12 or 15, whatever, year old boy or girl, teenager, can make a profound difference in your future. Now, the greatest truth of this section of Scripture is what Josh taught on last week. Now, normally I don't get up here and say that the, the greatest truth was what you heard last week. I, I, always, I always have this sense that what I'm teaching on this morning is the most important thing you need to hear. But the greatest truth in this script, section of Scripture is that Christ and the church are in a deep, passionate love relationship. And if you did not hear last Sunday's message, 
Go online, listen to it, pay whatever price it takes you uh, to get to hear that message. But the, 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 the greatest truth here is that Christ and the church are in a deep, passionate love relationship. Christ's love for the church, his love for you, if you are in the church, if you are a part of him, if you belong to him, Christ's love for the church drove him to the cross. And he loves us, he loves his church as his own because we are part of him. We are members of his own body. And so he nourishes us or he cares for us and cherishes us. And we, as the church, respond to this love by abandoning ourselves to him, by joyfully submitting ourselves to him as the lover of our soul. Now, when it comes to the topic of marriage, we, men and women, husbands and wives, are called to live out this great romance in our marriages. Husbands must live out the love, this love of Christ that was so deep, so personal, so passionate, that it drove Christ to give up himself for us. Wives must live out this glad and willing surrender and submission which the church has to such love that Christ has shown us. I know also very well that when the topic of marriage roles comes up, I know that some people immediately shut down. I know that some people immediately respond, I am tired of hearing that. I need something new that never has worked for me that doesn't seem to work for me or for us. But let me assure you that there is more understanding of what your relationship needs, more answers for your marriage in Ephesians 5 than there are in all the marriage books in the world. This counsel that we have read that we're going to talk about this morning, this counsel is from God, the God who formed you in your mother's womb. The God who made you male and female. The God who ordained the relationship of marriage. He knows and understands fully and deeply how this is to work. When there are marriage problems, the the violations of this passage are almost always the glaring problem. And where couples live this out there is almost always peace and happiness, at least in the measure to which it is lived out. John Piper said, God's plan for marriage is beautiful and deeply fulfilling. It is not oppressive and fearful. It is freeing because it is God's design. And God sets us free. Whatever he says for us ultimately is for our freedom. Every command of God is for your benefit and well-being. Every command of God truly sets you free as a person. If you are married this morning, how your marriage is going or isn't going is probably the most important thing in your life right now. And this chapter is written to you so that it may go well with you. Some say that this passage teaches domination and slavery. Not at all. It teaches sacrificial love and respectful submission. This morning I want to look at what this says 
to wives and to husbands. And then especially this morning, I want to focus on the practical outworking of this in your home. I want to focus on how this works in marriage in a very down-to-earth sort of way. Two weeks ago, we saw that submission is a quality that is to be prized and practiced, to be venerated and loved by all believers. And I would encourage you to get that message too if you didn't hear it. All of us are to take the lower place to voluntarily put ourselves under each other. It is a product of being filled with the Spirit. It is a Christian quality. I believe that if the Bible said, husbands submit to your own wives, if that was the emphasis, then husbands should enthusiastically embrace that role. But in verse 22, in God's plan, God says, speaking through Paul, he applies this truth to wives in relationship to their husbands, and he says, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. And again, the context is, which I think is so important, and, and I, I, not to be too repetitive, but the context I think is vital here. It says, be filled with the Spirit, singing to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things to God, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your own husbands. You know, literally, it doesn't actually say, wives, submit to your husbands, it's a, it's a, it's, it, this is, all this thought is so connected of being filled with the Spirit, singing to the Lord, giving thanks to the Lord, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your own husbands. It's just a, it's a follow-through of that thought. The word submit there is, is assumed because it is just said, wives, or we are all to submit to one another. But the point is that this attitude for wives flows out of this whole train of thought, being filled, uh, singing, giving thanks, submitting to one another. Now, wives, this is what you are to do in your homes with your husband. A spirit-filled woman will submit to her husband. And this is not said, and I, I I have no thought or no idea that Paul said this. Paul did not give this command He did not say this with the thought that this is some bitter pill to swallow. He he did not start this out. There was not the assumption here, okay, wives, I'm going to tell you something really terrible now. That was not the tone of this at all. Submitting, as I said, is to be done with being filled with the Spirit, with singing to the Lord, with giving thanks in all things. It is not given as an unbearable cross or a terrible assignment. It is a pathway of joy. It is a part of living in the kingdom of God. It is a part of living in the righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. To submit means to place yourself under your husband with respect. It is a willingness to yield to your husband. It means that you adapt and adjust to the man Who is your husband? Paul used the word obey when he addressed children and slaves. He doesn't say that to wives. It is a submission of a partner, a submission of a person who is one with you. 
Wives, you are to do this as to the Lord. That's what it says. This means that you submit to your husband as an act of submission to the Lord. You, you do it to the Lord or you do it for the Lord. Wives, if you focus on whether or not your husband deserves to be submitted to or not, you will, you will, you will stop respecting and adapting when you think he no longer deserves it. And I guarantee you there will be those times when he doesn't deserve it. Verse 23 says, for the husband is the head of the wife. This gives us the reason that the wife is said is uh, instructed to submit to her husband. For the husband is the head of the wife. In God's design for marriage, the husband is the leader, the authority figure in the marriage relationship. He gives direction to the family. He sets the tone for the family, and he is ultimately responsible for the well-being of his wife and family. And this verse simply says, wives, should submit to their husband because the husband is the God-appointed head. He goes on to say the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is Savior. So wives, as you look upon Christ, or as we all look upon Christ as the head of the church, wives then look upon your husbands as your head. Verse 24 As the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. You know, submission is an inner quality. It's it's an inner attitude of the heart that that actions flow out of. It's not something that uh, that you can resist in your heart and then sort of outwardly fulfill this. It is something that flows out of inside of you, out of out of the spirit. Work, spirits work in your life and heart. And because it is this inner quality that applies to everything, it says here, within the marriage relationship. Even when you strongly disagree with the man that God has given as your husband, even when you strongly disagree, you show this heart attitude of submission in the way that you express that. Peter says, wives... Be subject to your husbands, so that if any of them disobey the word, they may be won over without words by your behavior as they see your respectful and pure conduct. And you see here, wives, there's this, there's this, attitude, this hard attitude that's be subject. They see your behavior, your respectful and pure conduct. So the Peter's thought is here, wives, you influence your husbands out of this attitude of submission and respect and it's a powerful has a powerful godly influence of winning your husband to a right and true manner of life you influence your husband powerfully by your respectful behavior that doesn't mean i don't believe that you go along with your husband with some sort of plan to cheat on your taxes or to lie about something together uh, you should you should not cover up abuse or adultery or or per, per, pornography habits. I don't think wives should stay home from church because their husbands won't go. But even in situations where you must obey God rather than your husband, you do that with an attitude of showing respectful submission. Now, if you have 
really listen to to what I just not not really what I said, but, the, but what the scripture said here. Wives, I think you would have to agree that these are very strong statements. And so I want to challenge you just for a moment, wives. Have you ever truly taken them to heart? What is commanded here is quite the opposite of what we often see, even in Christian homes and marriages. Often, very often, the wife runs the show and imposes her will on virtually everything in the home. Some wives will shoot down a suggestion from their husband before it barely escapes his lips. Some husbands have learned to shut up and withdraw in order to have any peace in the home at all. There is peace, but it is peace that is purchased at the price of disobedience to God's plan for marriage. Submission does not mean that a woman cannot make important decisions. does not mean that she cannot have a career or even own a business as long as it is done in a way that does not violate God's pattern for marriage and the home. The godly woman of Proverbs 31 is, is quite a capable gal. If you read that, you'll see that. It does not mean you cannot express your personality or your spiritual gifts or your opinion, but it is that you do all of those in a way that is characterized by a a submissive spirit to your husband. And if your husband says, let's go buy the orange car, you don't say, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not doing that. Now, I don't think you should buy the orange car. But there's different ways that you can communicate that to your husband. hope nobody has an orange car up there. Sorry, I just thought of that. I love orange. <laughs> Green car, whatever. Okay, you get the point. You may try to influence the decision in other ways, but not with attitudes that communicate defiance, not with attitudes that communicate resistance. Anything that belittles your husband is contrary to this message of the Holy Spirit in these verses. A wife may say something like, you know, if only you made more money, I could go out and get my nails done like other women. And not realize how deadly those words are to the marriage. I ran across uh, nine things that... Wives, you should never say to your husbands. I'm going to share them with you. I think they're pretty good. I'm, I, and I'm going to get to some things that husbands should never say to their wives later. So, you know, it'll all be fair when we get, when we get done here. Okay? Number one, number one, wives should not say to your husbands, I don't respect you. It's an obvious violation of this instruction. Number two, why are you doing that? Number three, can't you do anything right? Number four, I told you so. Number five, <clears throat> we need to talk. Number six, forget it, I'll do it myself. Number seven, you need to calm down. Number eight, why can't you be more like and fill in the blank of somebody else's husband's name. And number nine, I should have never married you in the first place. 
what do all those statements have in common? And, and, and those are things, those are very realistic things that get said in homes and in marriages. And what do all of them have in common? They all in some way show disrespect and lack of a submissive spirit. They all in some way have a little tinge of a spirit of defiance. To submit to your husband as head of the wife means that you give him room to be head. Most husbands are scared to take initiative in their homes. They will pull away from it even more if their attempts at leadership or headship are met with criticism. You know, if your husband says, I think it would be a good idea if we read this book as a family. Well, you can say, sure, that sounds great. I'll be glad to take a turn reading. Or you can say, that won't work at all. The kids are too, way too young for that. One response supports, one response shoots down. And wives just need to make sure that the things that you say are not things that shoot down, but the things, things that support. Now, there's, there's different ways to say that if, if you think maybe some other material might be better or whatever. And that's just a, one example of that. Any time that a, that a husband maybe suggests something, you can, either, you can either support it, you can talk through it, you can modify it, but you don't shoot it down. Wives being subject, and I, I, this is important for both men and wives to hear, wives being subject does not rule out much mutual respect and submission within the marriage relationship. For example, on the subject of sex within marriage, Paul said the husband should give his wife her conjugal rights and likewise, the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Well, some people would think it would stop right there. It doesn't. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time. You both seek for the sexual pleasure and fulfillment of the other. Both of you voluntarily giving the other authority over your body. But you see the words in this passage that uh, don't deprive one another. There's this kind of one another sort of interaction. You, you both give the other person authority over yourself. And I think in a good marriage... Uh, much interaction is like this. This doesn't nullify the fact that the husband is head of the home and the wife is to submit. But within a good marriage, you just work things out. You defer to each other. You give each other their rights, as Paul suggested here in 1 Corinthians 7 or commanded here in 1 Corinthians 7. You give each each other their rights instead of demanding your own. It's, it, most things in marriage are not a matter of pulling rank or demanding submission. In fact, most in most areas of, of our married life, Cindy and I discuss things out. We talk things out. We we view each other as one with each other, and we come to an agreement. For husbands, being head of the wife does not mean to keep women in their place, to be condescending or controlling. I knew a husband who did not like his in-laws at all. 
And for years, he would not let his wife, he would not permit his wife to go see her family. This is not the kind of suffocating authority that this passage is talking about. John Piper said there is nothing in this passage to suggest that a husband can plop down in front of the TV every night and order his wife around. In Alexander Strock's very excellent book, Equal Yet Different, he quotes a writer who says, Headship does not imply that the man's will ought necessarily to prevail at all times. Paul does not talk about the husband having his way. This is, again, a follow-up with this quote. He does not, Paul does not talk about the husband having his way, but of his love and sacrifice. In other words, headship is not a basis for the husband to say, we are going to always do what I want to do. That is not in this passage uh, at all. As head of the home, many times you will submit to your wife's wishes out of the kind of sacrificial love that is called for out from you as a husband. Uh, Two mistakes that husbands often make with headship. One is to domineer, to monopolize, to be overbearing, to always know what should be done without any discussion or input from your wife. And I think that's a, 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 a fatal mistake. You are one. You're called to be one. There has to be this sense of oneness even within the structure of these roles. This is the type of husband that comes home and tells his wife he quit his job and we're moving to Montana in two weeks. And your wife feels left out. Uh, her heart aches to be included with you. She, her heart aches to be included with you in this oneness which God, in which God brought you together. The other mistake regarding headship is just to be passive and indifferent and uninterested, uninvolved, never taking any initiative, never having a thought or an idea of, of for direction for the home or for your family. And your wife aches for you to be more involved, to take more initiative. It is a fact that some husbands, in some degree or another, are married to a wife who will not or does not show a submissive heart to you. And if that is the case, the solution is not to tell her over and over again to submit. I don't see here in this passage that it is your responsibility to see to it that your wife submits. That doesn't mean you could never have a discussion about it. I'm not saying that. But the, the summary of this whole passage is that the husband must see to it that he loves his wife as he loves himself. That's what the husband is to see to. Okay, And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So husbands, I think if you are in those situations... Uh, where you feel that your wife is not supportive or submissive or respectful, uh, I think you go to the Lord primarily with that. I think you seek the Lord's help. I think you continue to do what God asks you to do. What did God ask you to do? He said, husbands, you must see to it that you love your wives as you love yourself. So pray for your wife. Hold her up.
Love her when she is not responding to you. Don't give in to the natural inclination to be angry and uh, strike back. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. We're, we're going to shift gears here now. We've certainly, there's certainly not been just talking about wives, but we're talking to wives. There's been some mixture, of course, in here as we've talked about head, headship. But now we're going to focus more, more on husbands. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus Christ does love his church greatly. Jesus Christ does love his people. He does love you. He does love you men. He does love you husbands. And this verse simply says, as you are loved, men, love your wife. Well, what does it mean to love your wife as Christ loved us and gave himself for us? Does it mean to tell her that you love her? Of course. God tells us that he loves us. And some of the sweetest promises in Scripture are simply that God loves us and that nothing can separate us from his love, that he has loved us with an everlasting love. It's wonderful to hear that. We need to hear those words. Does it mean to be tender, kind, patient, forgiving? Absolutely, yes. It means that you are not harsh. Uh, Colossians 3.19, at least one translation says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. But this love is also more, more than just being kind or nice. It is more than just being a, a good guy or a nice guy in the home. It says, as Jesus gave himself up for us. Love from the husband, from you husbands to your wife, uh, is to be the same manner of love. Love undergoes suffering for the one you love. A well-known theologian by the name of Benjamin Warfield married his wife Annie when he was just 25 years old. And on their honeymoon in Europe, his new wife, Annie, was struck by lightning and permanently paralyzed. And Benjamin cared for her for 39 years until her death. And he said that he seldom left home for more than two hours at a time during all those years of marriage. Love pays a price. That's the kind of love that we men are to give for our wives. There is a toughness in this love. Not being tough on your wife, but a toughness you must endure for the sake of your wife. Christ went out and accomplished something for you at great cost to himself. And in that same manner, I believe men are to go out and accomplish something for their wives at great cost to themselves. In fact, I thought of this this week. You know, there's a reason that it's called Christ's work on the cross. It was work. He went through something for your benefit. And likewise, husbands, there is, the, there is a task 
to be carried out for your wife. There is, there is a work to be done out of sacrificial love. Love means that, that you go to work on her behalf. Husbands, one application of this sacrifice, sacrificial love, I believe, is to provide for your wife. I do not think wives primarily should carry the burden of the family income or solving financial problems. I realize there's some extreme situations where there has to be some exceptions to that, but primarily in this, this picture that we are given here, I do not believe wives should, or should carry the burden of solving the financial problems of the family. She needs to be your partner in that. You need to talk things out, be in agreement. But I think as head of the home, you need to say, dear or honey or or whatever you call her, you need to say, dear, I am on it. I will carry that. I will take care of our financial needs. Out of my love for you, I will pay whatever price it takes. I will do whatever whatever it takes. Uh, that, is, that does not mean a wife cannot work or bring in money. Uh, I think actually all throughout our marriage, my wife did little things that brought in an income. But as the husband, you carry that cross. You take charge of that. And your wife needs to know that you are on it and, and feel loved and secure in that. Elizabeth Elliot, in a very excellent book, titled The Mark of a Man, wrote this. She wrote that part of a man's suffering is job hunting, taxes, promotion, competition, and family leadership, not to mention the daily realities of commuting to and from work, maintaining a house, yard, and car in order. I kind of thought that was interesting that she added in order at the end. Being a faithful church member and paying the bills And she goes on to say, a leader is a man who does not groan under the burdens, but takes them on as a matter of course. He allows them, tolerates them, and with a dash of humor. He knows how to keep his mouth shut about his difficulties and how to live one day at a time, doing quietly what needs doing at the moment. People will follow that sort of man. And wives will too. Love involves suffering. Another part of the sacrificial love is taking spiritual leadership in the home. Husbands, take the initiative to pray at meals. That might be something very simple. But it's, it's, just, it's, a, it's a way that you can start showing headship in the home. Take initiative to pray at meals and at other times, too. When crises and problems come up, when you hear bad news or somebody uh, contacts your family and says, here's a prayer request. Husbands, take the lead in, in prayer. Share something from the Bible. Take the initiative to get the family to church. Initiate discussion about the Bible teaching. I mean, this this morning would be a great example. Guys, you know, after the message, on your way home or this afternoon, this would be a great message to have a little dis- have a discussion with your, with your wives. Just take initiative and talk about things spiritually. You know, when we did surveys at marriage conferences a few years ago, 
every year the wives, on the wives' survey, the number one thing wives wanted from their husbands or for their husbands was to be spiritual leaders or more of a spiritual leader in the home. Verse 28, in the same way, and again, this is going back to the, same, the way that Christ loved us, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it or nourishes and cherishes it, which actually I like better, but, um, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. As I said earlier, men, guys, husbands, Christ loves you. He does. Christ loves you men. He loves you as part of himself. He takes care of you. He nourishes and cherishes you because you are members of his own body. And so he says to you through the Holy Spirit, through Paul, love your wife in that same way. Christ loves us as his own body. You love your wives as your own body. And the reality is your own body is very dear to you. You value it. You notice when you are tired. You see to it that you get food when you are hungry. You take care of that sore ankle or knee. Do the exact same thing with your wife. Be aware of her needs. Be aware of her conditions. Be aware of her feelings and love her by nourishing her and cherishing her in those situations. Do all you can do to nourish, to feed, to care for her. Your wife, I guarantee you, needs, at least most wives say this, they need to talk and to communicate. So out of love, you give her time to sit down and engage in conversation. You don't remain aloof or absorbed in your own video games or TV or work or whatever. You meet that need of companionship that she has. You meet that need of partnership, that need for oneness. Paul said, love her and you love yourself. And, 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 he, and he assumes, he goes on to say that naturally we all love ourselves. No one ever hated his own flesh, it says. You, you do love yourself. In other words, you do what you think will make you most happy at the moment. That's what one, I think that was Piper. Somebody said that. That's what, that's what it means to love yourself. You do what you think will make you most happy at the moment. And so Paul is saying, husbands, do what you think will make your wives most happy at the moment. Do what you think will bring your wife the most joy. And you will have the most joy. Love your wife and you are loving yourself. Devote yourself to the happiness and well-being of your wife and you will be happy. Treat her well and you treat yourself well. Again, to quote Elizabeth Elliot, she said to husbands, make her glad that she is a woman. Compliment her. Treat her like a lady. Be courteous. Do things for her. Do something for her you know that she would enjoy. Okay, I promised I'd get to this, so here it is. Husbands, here are things you are to never to say to your wife. 
Number one, again, husbands, don't ever say this to your wife. Number one, what's wrong now? Number two, would you just calm down and relax? Number three, what were you thinking? Number four, what did you do all day? Number five, I just don't love you anymore. Number six, is it that time of the month? Number seven, are you going to eat all that? Number eight, get off my back. Number nine, you are just like your mom. Those are not mine. I, I did take these from somebody else. So you know, if you have a problem with any of those for men or women, you know, don't blame me. I'm, I'm, just, you know, I'm just the messenger, okay? But you know, what, what is the problem with all of those statements? They all in some way view that you... They all show that you view your wife in some way as, as some sort of problem or bother, not someone that you are glad to sacrificially love and lay down your life for. And then I want to just wrap up by making a few a few comments. Uh, I don't know if I'd really call them applications, but but they're things that that I that I'd just like to conclude with this morning. And and this is a, this first one is addressed to both husbands and wives, men and women. First of all, men or husbands, especially if you have a daughter. How do you want her to be treated someday by her husband? You know, you look at your little girl. How do you want her to be treated someday by her husband? Today, go treat your wife that way. Wives or ladies, if, if you have a son, you know, you look at your son, your, your young man or maybe your little boy. How do you want him to be treated someday by his wife? Today, go treat your husband that way. Number two, uh, the key to all of this is the focus on your own responsibility before God. If you are in a relationship with God, if you have a respect or a reverence or fear of the Lord, then I think this comes pretty easy to, do, to approach it this way because you want to please the Lord. And so you will find yourself, you know, just focusing on yourself because you know it's you and, you and the Lord. It's you and Jesus. And are you pleasing him or not? So, so the key is to focus on your own responsibility before God. Worry about your obedience, not your spouse. In so many, so many marriage relationships, it is almost impossible to pry the husband or wife away from a complete and total focus on how their partner has or is failing. And it's just almost, almost impossible to, to, to turn around and, and look at what, what I might need to do differently in the home. Number three, and, and again, this is really maybe not an application, but it's, I think it's a very important perspective. God calls you in this passage, in this word from the Lord, 
God calls you as a husband or a wife away from yourself. Okay? Ephesians 5, to both men and women, is basically a call away from yourself. Away from your selfishness, away from your self-love, and into loving and adapting to another person. Marriage is a call to die, to lose yourself and follow Christ as a wife who respects and submits to her husband or as a husband who goes to the cross out of love for his wife. And the amazing thing is that you find life and joy and fullness in doing so. As it says right in this passage, the man who lays himself down in order to love and nourish and cherish his wife ends up loving himself. He ends up treating himself very well. And the wife who in a biblical and spirit-filled way respectfully submits her husband will find, she will find that she has found herself. She has found her calling. She will find that she is a real woman in the fullest and highest sense. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for how much you know about us and how much you know what we need to hear. Thank you, God, for the beauty and the wonder of your design for us in marriage. We, uh, we ask you to uh, drive powerfully home to our hearts anything and everything that I spoke this morning that was in line with your truth and your spirit. Uh, cause anything that wasn't to fall by the wayside. We ask you to use it all to your glory and to the joy and benefit of the marriages at Real Life Church as well as to those who are not married and those who may someday be married. Use this all, Lord, to your benefit and your glory. And God, whether we're married or not, whether we'll ever be married or not, it, we rejoice in your truth. It is just so good to hear what you have to say about anything, whether it applies really directly at this moment or not. We, we are people who love to hear what you have to say. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.